Hey everyone, and welcome back to episode 101 of The Pink Show. That sounds absolutely crazy to say, 101 episodes. Today, we're going to be talking about something we haven't seen in a while and that we wouldn't have ever expected to miss. It's bike industry trade shows. So there are a bunch of really interesting smaller shows out there, but the big three are, or were maybe, Interbike, Eurobike, and the Taipei Cycle Show. And those three shows are where companies used to debut new bikes and products a bunch of years ago. Now, that's definitely changed in more recent times, largely due to something called the internet, but you could still go to any of those shows and see all the latest gear, the wildest bikes in person, and have someone tell you all the info and answer all your questions. Later on in the show, we're going to talk all about trade shows, when and where they're held, industry days and consumer days, what it's like to walk around inside these massive shows, and what we do for work at them, what bike companies do for work at them. And we're also going to talk about all the stuff we love and hate about trade shows. But, Casimir, before we get to that pesky work stuff, I first want to mention the sometimes not obvious point that, well, we're going to moan about trade shows a bunch. I mean, they are work and they're, they're a lot of work. We're going to get to that. They're also a reason that we've been able to fly around the world and see and do some amazing shit, right? Yes, yes. We've gotten to go some good places and have adventures on the side in between all the uh, writing about the latest widgets and gadgets and things. Definitely, yeah. So you've definitely been to a lot of trade shows over the years, Kaz. Some of them with me, some of them without me. But do you have a like a non-work favorite memory from all the travels that we've done together? Most of those are from Taiwan. I think one of the one of the years we were at the Taipei show, but I went down to Taichung and then ended up taking a scooter out into the this climbing area and then we went rock climbing and there was monkeys while we were climbing like it was a sport climbing zone and then there was monkeys above so you'd climb up and the monkeys were just staring at you and that was pretty cool just a little more interesting than sea otter i'd have to say <laughs> a little bit yeah it wasn't it wasn't you know and then reno or interbike in vegas or any of that stuff yeah it was yeah it was definitely yeah. different it was it was great so speaking of scooters I think we're going to talk about scooters for a few minutes here. I've also got yes, Brian please. Park today. You just heard him. But he's not here as my boss. He's here for the next hour and a bit because he used to do something or other important-ish at Rocky Mountain Bikes a few years ago. So he's going to tell us what trade shows were like from a bike company's perspective. But before that, I think he's going to tell me a story about scooters in Taiwan and possibly the best day of our lives. Brian? Oh, man. Yeah, I think... I think our sales director, Alan Crisp, might be responsible for this. I think it was his idea. It was, yeah. So, because I told him, I'd gone to Taiwan a lot of times for Rocky Mountain in the past, and I rented scooters, and I, one time I scootered down the coast, the east coast of Taiwan, that was really, really nice, and yeah, I think Alan Crisp was like, insisted that when we went to the Taipei show with Pinkbike, that we went to the east coast and rented scooters, and uh, we ended up, we, we rode up a place called Taroko Gorge. Um, they've got a bunch of fancy road riding things that happen there too, but it is legitimately one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And I think we all used up eight of our nine lives that day. And yeah, possibly one of the best days. I Like top three day of my life for sure. It was absolutely insane. So we took the bullet train to just outside of the Taroko Gorge National Park. And then we spent a night there, and then the next morning we rented these scooters. And basically, Taroko Gorge, it's this super twisty, 
road, mountain road that goes up through like these crazy canyons. And I mean, if you like doing things above the speed limit, <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. It's about a zillion corners. Uh, we raced the entire time. It was like the typical tourist thing. Like we're wearing sandals, shorts and a t-shirt. And I don't know how we didn't like lose toenails or a foot even or something like that. Like, yeah, that was absolutely amazing. It was also the possibly the coldest I've ever been in my life too. But <laughs> Well, it was so hot on the way up and then we got into the fog and then coming down, it was so cold. So cold. Yeah. 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 That was amazing. Was that felt like it felt like we were racing Moto GP bikes around the corners on these like yeah. little scooters and oh, it was incredible. <laughs> At like 30 kilometers an hour. Yeah. It wasn't actually that fast, but it was just as terrifying. Well, and the super tight corners, they have like big mirrors around them so you could see if there's like a bus coming and... You could be safely, safely irresponsible. Crisp took some crazy chances, I have to say. <laughs> Crisp is horrifyingly fast, yeah. though. Right? Like oh, yeah. former World Cup downhill racer, he's... he absolutely put the boots to us even though he's he put the boots large. mostly to you to be honest well everybody put the sight. boots to me you, he put yeah <laughs> yeah okay that's fair <laughs> all right we've also got henry quinney on the show henry you're from england and you're also from in a previous life from something called gbmnb or something like that did you go to trade shows in your previous life uh, I went to one or two through them with a GMBN. Oh, that's it. Which is like, that's like a biscuit making firm, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I sort of had the other experience because a lot of World Cups, especially ones like Fort William and Leergang, I'd say, they do become something like trade shows in themselves. They mm -hmm. have big expos. And so I kind of have this strange sort of, when you're in that, you're kind of, you're not really a, a punter. You're not really have an expo, but a lot of a lot of people, spectators at the seat of the race, kind of treat you like you are an expo. Like literally, just you know, because you want your pits are open because they get so hot. But people love to watch mechanics work, and which is great for them. But when you've got like literally twenty people stood five minutes away from you as you're trying to, I mean, one time the rider I was working for, in one crash, he bent his stem handlebars and fork crown Jesus and so i'm like chasing Christ. this around the bike and we're trying to get up for another run and i have i'm in so like 20 people just staring at me from like five meters away like wow he looks like he's really stressed dad yeah sure son i think he is i think he's really struggling and i'm just there like fuck off like leave me alone <laughs> remember kids if you see a mechanic working and they're you know they're sweating just send give them some advice they need help yeah, yeah just give <laughs> ask, them your ask them questions <laughs> yeah <laughs> henry i heard a story about you in a van hiding from the german police or something oh god Can yeah you share that so, <laughs> so we used to have this huge like one of the biggest like the biggest lorry size you could get and the whole back of it was a motorhome and then it got pulled by this big couple of ton um truck up front and so when we're doing the long drives I would tell everyone I was sleeping in the back, but actually I'll be in the kitchen playing Age of Empires. And so... <laughs> Man after my own heart. I love it. And it happened. It happened twice. The first time we had a um, a wheel blowout. And because where the way the kitchen, that was basically happening, there's a small bit of plywood between me and the wheel, right? So the whole thing's like shaking. I'm like, bloody hell. And it's ah! And I'm like, you know, I have to go and hide upstairs and pretend that I've just woken up from my sleep. Oh boy, oh boy. Did something happen, lads? Anyway. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, this happened again. 
and we had like 13 hours sat by a German motorway. And it was like, oh no, this is going so bad for the truck to come out and repair it. Then we got in the road for about an hour and we get flagged down into a random checkpoint. And um, I'm like in the back, like, oh fuck, like, you know, because that's, that's serious problems because we're going over country's borders and, you know, like it's a problem for the driver, it's a problem for me because we're in the back of a lorry. It looks like pretty dodgy, you know? And um, anyway, so they they chat a bit and they say actually we think your uh, truck's a bit high and they get this tape measure out and our truck we had a, a terrace on the roof and the bits to fasten the the terrace railings made the truck like two inches too high and they're like so you can't drive it on german roads and we're like oh jesus and so the manager's sort of negotiating with them and i've kind of got my ear to the window listening and um he's trying to like schmooze them and after a while they say it's funny we're actually a uh, pretty big mountain bike fans ourselves and we've always wanted to see in one of these trucks you wouldn't mind if we just took a look around and he was like, no, no. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. And so there's a, we have these little Hessian curtains. We have bunk beds. And I'm there. Like, we have these two German police officers like looking around the bedrooms. And I'm there, like, like my feet stuffed on the side of the mattresses, Hessian curtain pulled over. And then they go back downstairs. And they're in the truck for, like, 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be so bad. And eventually, once they go around the other side of the truck, so that's opposite of where the door is, I literally just run in a parallel line like straight from the door into some bushes and I stay there for like three hours. <laughs> it took us like 85 hours to get from Fort William to Leargang. It was horrible. Uh. <sighs> Trade shows never just go straight, do they? There's always there's yeah. always some, some curveball. Can I also just go back to, you, you did mention you twisted, a, someone twisted a stem? Oh yeah, oh my God, the crashes that? that you used to see. Oh uh, well, it's a combination of <laughs> what can i say um it's a combination of people riding unbelievably hard like world cup riders ride harder than people can possibly like you th- you think of your local pinner who is like the best rider you've ever met and they will not do anything compared to someone like mick hannah on a bike mick used to go through and kenta used to go through headset bearings like every day what like like correct fitting everything perfect just the force they were put through those bikes and those tracks get so beaten up as well and Kenta had this huge crash where, you know, when you land, you go over the bars and you land on the bars at the perfect angle. I know that angle, part, yeah. That it, it, yeah, <laughs> that it basically, you don't go through the front door. You basically preload the front door before getting shot out and spat out the other side. And he had that. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he he shot like probably 20 foot, you know, just in the air and, you know, nursed the bike down. But we had instances where Mick on these prototype bars coming through the whoop section at Lear Gang went a bit deep into one of those and basically landed in an up landing and just bent the handlebars like proper like cartoon sort of whoop and um yeah so much stress stress stresses go through the bikes that they're just it's just not anything that you or i could even comprehend that sounds like an entire podcast on its own henry for sure (laughs) yeah hey kaz tell us about the news we got some things to talk about all right in the news this week we had Two big industry buyouts. The first one was Kona. It was sold to Kent Outdoors. Now, Kent has a portfolio of 15 brands across water sports, outdoors, and snowboarding. I think they got paddle boards or wakeboarding supplies or something. Um, Kona is going to be its first mountain bike brand, although the CEO of Kent is Ken Mydell, who previously was the CEO of Outer Bike and DeKine. So he does have some industry relations there. Um, and then the second buyout was the Acel Group, which is the owners of LaPierre, High Bike, Raleigh, and more. They were bought out by a consortium led by the KKR Group for $1.56 billion. There's a lot of business talk here. 1.56 billion euros. That's even more than dollars, I think. Yeah, that's a lot of money. 
So that, for comparison, that $1.56 billion, that's even a much larger offer compared to the one that Pond paid for Durrell Sports last year. That was an 810 million euro deal. Levy, is it true that you're putting Grim Donut shares online? For what, like... <laughs> Don't tell anybody yet. Yeah. I thought, I thought <laughs> we were going to do an the NFT. Yeah. yeah, the Grim Dawn NFT is in process. <laughs> Brian, what's going on with with these big sales? Why is this happening now? Getting acquired is so hot right now. Apparently. Yeah, it's trending. It's trending. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I I imagine it's two sides. One, one is that these brands are probably the most valuable they'll ever be because of all the interest in cycling right now. And then two, some brands, I don't imagine that's the case for all of these brands that we're talking about, but some brands really are struggling to have enough cash on hand to buy the product they need to sell their bikes. And so, yeah, I don't know if that applies to these. I I think that's more sort of the mid-sized brand, maybe Kona a little bit. I'd, I'd be guessing, speculating, but yeah, there's definitely brands that are struggling to have enough money to buy the products they need to sell their thing i heard a story just yesterday actually i was talking to my friend who used to work for a really big german um canyon german company that... <laughs> <laughs> got it <laughs> no not canyon but basically a company that got bought out about five six years ago and um <laughs> their old owner who basically did everything was so nice that he could never fire anyone he just found it really difficult and the new the new owners in the in the re, like reshuffling, they're like, right, there's one person, they they gotta go. You know, you gotta do it. And if you wanna be like this CEO person, this is the kind of thing you gotta do. And this guy tried to fire this person, felt so bad halfway through, he ended up like giving them a raise. He was like, uh, but maybe if you just stick around for six months <laughs> <laughs> Like us biker us biker people we're not we're not cut out for the sharp hold of business. No. <laughs> well maybe we are, but I don't think we are. Levy's just been falling up for the last ten years. <laughs> Sorry, my life. Well, they say you, you say you, you rise to the level of your incompetency, and I'm still rising, baby. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Brian, there were there were some comments in there about venture capitalists and and people talking about how it's terrible and this and that. I don't know anything about this stuff. Can you shed some light? Is that what's going on? Do we know anything about that? Like people just stripping stripping yeah. these brands for parts and, and flushing them? I don't know, man. I'm not I'm not smart enough to know these things and I've been over the I mean, I've barely been around over the last couple of weeks. I've been deep in spreadsheet land. I mean, do we think that all bike brands should exist? Are there do we need more bike brands? I I mean, I don't I guess when it comes down to it, there's a lot of sausage making and people don't want to see the sausage making they just want to eat the sausage and do i think this is good or bad for cycling i i think it's just one of those things where we'll find out so i know like a, an adventure capitalist is someone that does a google meet halfway through their e-bike ride <laughs> what's a venture capitalist <laughs> I don't, oh my i don't goodness. really know well i don't think i don't think anybody's i think they're talking about like vulture capitalists here and well, that's another thing I, I don't the thing is well, that's Brian, somebody who that's somebody who buys a buys a thing buys a thing and strips just it to strip parts. it down and yeah yeah you know, or you like buy the debt of like a and the printers and the the coffee tables how many coffee tables does yeah. kona have do you think three or four a couple, at least. yeah yeah at least yeah there's a couch too over there i'm pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. sure <laughs> i don't like i don't know a lot about kent 
outdoors, but I think I would be really sad to see Kona go down sort of the, the path to whatever, like blandness. They're they're a cool brand. They're they've got a lot of history in the bike world. So I hope that they're I hope that it the cash injection makes them able to keep doing cool stuff. I mean, I've actually just got a Kona on test this week, which is very exciting. First thing I'd do for Kona, big money saving. It comes about three meters of cable you just don't need. Honestly, around the front of this bike, I can tell them right now, you're just you're just spending, you're blowing it. Those are for bar spins, Henry. <laughs> you just wind oh, it up. mate. Honestly, like, you know, you're just going to be riding along and just snagging trees and squirrels. It's going to be wild. If only you could have told this to them a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. I can yeah. save you 10 million euros a year, lads. All right, Kaz, I heard there's some team moves as well, too. Yeah, exactly. We've been talking about business, but there's some racing business. Um, and a bunch of different final, all the moves are kind of getting finalized because now the rosters have to be announced. So one of the ones we have is Nico Mullally is off of Intense, and he's going to be racing on his own frames. And Frank the Welder is actually going to be welding up those frames for him, kind of allowing nico to really dive into his tinkering which i think is really cool to see it's gonna be fun just to watch the process yeah i think that's gonna be that's such a cool story and we should probably get him on and talk about bikes and what he's doing and there's some interesting things there for sure imagine if he has a lot of success on bikes he's designed himself that would be a very cool story yeah that would be all right next we have lucas shaw moving to canyon so he's off the syndicate over to canyon that's a pretty big move too because he's on the syndicate kind of felt like he grew up with them at least for the last few years so be interesting to see where he goes all right moving on um so other moves include nina hoffman laurie greenland jackson goldstone to the syndicate so luca leaves and three new people are on the syndicate and we kind of thought that nina was going to be there maybe last year there were some rumors but it's cool to see that that's official that's going to be a pretty interesting pretty young team too at least Mm -hmm. with jackson on there yeah you guys excited for that one it's wild to see Jackson on there. That's very cool. I know, I I heard that it was a bit challenging for him to find a team last year to find like a, a the type of program he wanted, but he obviously he obviously proved he knew what he was doing this year. Yeah, or in twenty one. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be kind of it's gotta be kind of neat to go on a team and have Minar there just to be able to even be around him and see what his process is like. If you're a you know pretty young kid figuring out the World Cup scene. I mean, we talked with Minar for like an hour and i was so much faster after so (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) i imagine that's a very on purpose strategy like bringing in a bunch of youngsters and having minara there maybe to act as someone who could i mean not that they not that the young racers don't know what they're doing but it's got to help having minara there as well so yeah it's interesting for sure i'm gonna put i'm gonna put out a little bit of total drama speculation but in 21 syndicate had their young gun nabbed by Trek, and in 22, they're nabbing Trek's young gun back. Yeah, that's a good rumor or speculation. Yeah. That's just my speculation. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, yeah. yeah. And speaking of Trek, we had Brett Reeder announced that he's leaving Trek, which is kind mm. of a surprise. You know, it just kind of seemed like a lot of those slope style guys get a brand and then just kind of stick with it until the end of time, basically. So we haven't heard yet where Reeder's going to, so that's going to be interesting. I know this last season he was experimenting with a lot of different um, suspension parts on his bike and kind of really seemed like he's just trying a lot of things so we'll see where he goes where do we see reader ending up any guesses i've got a i've got a guess just because it would make sense um canyon mm-hmm. but it's a pure guess i have zero zero info i think most of those 
Slope Star guys are just sponsored by um, like a 500 psi shock pump, I think. And then anything <laughs> else doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. All the air. They're sponsored by air. <laughs> yeah, just sponsored by air. <laughs> yeah. In other news, we also had a pretty cool story about an Iron Horse Sunday that was reborn. So basically, this guy took a Sunday, cut it all apart, and stretched it, kind of like stretched and chopped, and made a modern Sunday um, with the parts from an, from an old one. So that kind of gave it some more, um, you know, more modern numbers that end up with a reach of 470 millimeters. Chain stays were 460 millimeters. Um, head angle 62.5 degrees. I think he ran it as a mullet, if I'm, I think that's right. Um, so yeah, kind of modernize the Sunday, but really neat story and just cool to see somebody doing something different. And I think all of us have a soft spot for that bike. So it's kind of fun to think about riding the modern version. That is such a cool story. That's, that was such a neat thing to see that bike be transformed. It's also sort of like every now and then someone tries to qualify for Supercross main events on like a two stroke instead of a four stroke, which is an entirely different thing. It was neat to see him take this bike bring it up to modern standards and apparently he's going to try and qualify for a world cup on it Kaz. yeah that's what he says. Yeah, like, yeah his name is uh julian neubauer and so he's a racer in austria and yeah he thinks he's gonna at least he's gonna try to qualify on it so that's a great goal and really cool project so check that out if you didn't see that and let's wrap up the news we've had a pink bike poll on reliability we've done a few of these over the years just kind of a good way to check in and see what people are breaking what they're not breaking um, this one showed that most people are happy with the reliability of their bikes, but things are definitely still breaking. Like most common ones were drivetrains, dropper posts, wheels, tires, and brakes. Those all kind of make sense to me. Uh, anything stand out to you? I I like that question in there. The last poll question asked everybody if they would take a 2.2 pound weight penalty for perfect reliability. And I actually had to think about it for a sec. I'm not sure I would, to be completely honest with you. Is that, I don't know, maybe I'm dumb. Kaz, would you take that? Perfect reliability, no flat tires, your chain doesn't wear out. What do you think? Yeah, I would take that. Okay. No problem. Yeah. Because it depends where you're starting from. So if I started on some like crazy light bike and then 2.2 pounds, it'd still be pretty light and then it'd be good. Yeah, that's a good strategy. Yeah. Henry, 2.2 pounds, you never have a technical uh, issue again. I think I think that workaround, Kaz, is a bit too... I think the question itself, you can't, well, actually, what I'd do is I'd start with a road bike at eight kilos and, uh, you know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't fly. I think going up to a bike from like 15 kilos to like 16 kilos. That's too yeah, heavy probably. to I, mean, I, don't really care. <laughs> I know. I think 15 kilos is a fair amount. I think if you enjoy riding the bike, weight doesn't bother you. I think I'd rather have a good heavy bike than a crap light one. And yeah. I think, yeah. um, yep. You so, know, I mean, is it really heaven. just, like, more of a percentage question? Is it, like, 7% or something? Like, if you have a 7-pound bike, or if you have a 35-pound bike, it becomes a 37.5-pound bike. If you have a 20-pound bike, it becomes a 21.4-pound bike. I think you get used to it. It's just like driving a bigger car, and at the start, you're like, oh, my God, this car's I'm going to hit everything. And you just don't. You just get used to it. And it's the same with the bike weight. You're just like, it doesn't hinder you. I mean, maybe if you had a stopwatch out, it would change, but I can't think of one parameter that increases a bike's performance that isn't about making it heavier. This is why I'm going to beat you guys in the staff race. My bike's going to be 2.2 pounds lighter. <laughs> this is where yeah, we'll staff see. race, huh? See you there. <laughs> okay, let's move on to questions here because we've got a bunch of them. And the first one, Brian, it's for you. It's a very serious question. This is from Pink Bike user Simon Yager. He says, when will you guys talk about Pink Bike's relationship with Specialized and their investment firm, Zone 5 Ventures, 
Ventures that owns a significant portion of Outside. Uh, he says there have been speculations, and even if they're baseless, you know, your sister publication, Cycling Tips, uh, they clarify that in some specialized reviews. They have a little blurb there. Uh, basically, Brian, he wants you to clarify this. What's the deal? Uh, I'm, this is embarrassing. I do not know much about the Zone 5 thing. I do think yeah, I think he's got a good point. We probably owe it to people to clarify and be transparent, so I'll work on something. I need to know more. I don't... I don't actually think that they're a particularly large investor. I think they they were fairly early, but I don't think they're very large in the grand scheme of the outside world. I don't personally see it as super different from, um, like we right now have an advertiser list on the side of Pinkbike, and this is just that with more steps. I, I, I probably want to say a few things for the record on this. So first, in my time at Pinkbike, nobody at Specialized has ever reached out to exert any like influence on on a review or anything like that like not before the acquisition from outside and not since it's not to say that somebody might not lots of other brands have tried to do that um and we've said no second is that the if if zone five invested in outside to you know as a strategic thing to influence editorial i think that would be a mistake because outside's business model like their whole goal is to move editorial further from sales and then last, I mean, I'm not saying to take our word for it. I think we should put out a statement and stuff. But editorial control and reviews is definitely a red line for me. And I, I think you too, Kaz. Um, there's lots we're working on in the future. But if some, you know, the day that somebody says we can't tell readers that a product is good or bad is the day that I hand in my resignation mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So I actually learned about this in the comment section of a review. I had no idea either. I'm sort of embarrassed. Because apparently everybody at Cycling Tips knew, but we didn't. I think it's also worth factoring in. I mean, I'm obviously the the newbie here, but never fail to underestimate how hard-headed, stubborn, and obstinate we are. And uh, <laughs> very much, <laughs> you know, think of someone thoroughly unlikable, and then more of that. And that's kind of how we operate around here. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's. I don't know. I think it's good that people are media skeptical, honestly. Yeah. But this is the thing that does my nothing. I really love skepticism and I love skepticism about my own work and I don't mind people, you know, calling it straight. And I I, I genuinely appreciate that. What annoys me is it's, it's a lack of consistency with skepticism. Like we've got social media going up. There was, I mean, we talked, you know, we mentioned I work for GMBN early on. GMBN does it so well in terms of active transparency. Like they always have it listed in their, their description. They never review anything. And we're very clear about that. And that's absolutely just how it is. If I gave an opinion, even for good or bad, I would have to, I would, like, it, it wouldn't be allowed in. Like, that's just the truth. They just say this is how you do things and this is what they happen to be using. But there's a whole raft of influencers doing reviews. It's absolute bullshit. And people totally. are like, oh, thank you for that. So they only gave you £5,000 in a year sponsorship of a fork and now you do a review only on that fork? It's absolute joke. And it does my nothing. We've got half of Instagram wants to look like they're sponsored so they look like they've got clout even though they're paying full rp then we've got the other half who are actually sponsored and actually getting paid who want to look like they're not to give their claims credibility it's nauseating and the fact that there isn't blanket skepticism it does my nutting i it riles me up so bad but sorry i'm getting carried away no no it's good i mean i'm not i don't think we should deflect from our own thing um but i did once get i did once get sent an email from an unnamed influencer 
uh, deal that was from a product manufacturer that had very specific things laid out about their bonus structure and what they would get any time they got the product into into print or onto a media site mm-hmm. or for the views on various levels of YouTube or Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And this was a person who is currently trying to, and at that time too, was trying to pawn themselves off as a fully independent reviewer, blah, 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 on online. So it, but dude, be skeptical I of like us, but also be skeptical it, of other people. Be skeptical people, of everyone. Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if, if you know someone that is, you know, reviewing bikes full time, and they only review one or two, one or two brands, and they all, you know, what I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's it's just obvious, and it's just, God, it makes me sick. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the other hand, I will say that, well, I would like maybe some more transparency with some of this influencer stuff. I'll also say that there's lots of great content mm-hmm. out there. Like, if you go on some of these YouTube channels. People are making great videos that I would be proud to make, you know, some of them, not all of them, that's for sure. But there is there is a lot of great stuff out there. Um, I mean, I, this is a topic, this is an entire topic for an entire podcast on its own, for sure. Oh, mate, let me add it. Oh, let God. Me add it. Oh, <laughs> You're already at it, it just sounds warming like. Up. <laughs> but I, I just, I just want to also say that there's great stuff out there. Influent, there are influencers doing great things and they're being transparent and making great content and it doesn't have to be editorial reviews all the time. So mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. Let's move on to a classic question. We've answered this a bunch of times before, but we're going to answer it again. This one is from Pinkbike user Pawn Sacrifice. He asks, when considering a new non-hero spec bike, which components make a difference? Uh, he says between the PB podcast and field test videos, he's looking at aluminum bikes. That's great. Saves a bunch of money and a far better spec. But he wants to know where the sweet spot is. He says he's five years back into riding at the wrong end of 40 years old. He's not going to be doing any huge jumps or racing. Doesn't need factory suspension. Kaz, I think you're going to tell this guy stuff like XT and a rhythm fork and things like that. But what would you say? Yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, you can even go like Dior, really. I'd say right now, Shimano's drivetrains, you can go all the way down to Dior, and it's the performance is super good across the board there. With SRAM stuff, I tend to think GX. I don't like going much below GX for a drivetrain. Just The performance does drop off pretty significantly there. Um, as far as suspension goes, if he's talking about Fox, I think those performance elite forks, You know, they're the ones that are basically the same as the factory stuff, just without the Kashima coating. And I don't think anyone can really tell a difference there. So that's a way to, a lot of times, those bikes with the black stanchions instead of the fancy gold ones cost a little bit less. So mm-hmm. that's a way to still have super high performance, but without as much money. Um, and yeah, like you said, the rhythm damper, the the basic grip damper versus the grip tube still works super well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like- okay. What about this? I got a curveball for it. I'm going to add my own question to Pawn Sacrifice's question. If you were going to splurge to buy like factory level shit for one component what would it be where would it make a difference Uh, i'm pretty particular about brakes so like i would want the top of the line like if i was going to get i like code brakes these days are one of my favorites i would get the code rsc's versus the rs or the r's so that would be one where like i like having the top of the line brake. there's not a massive price difference there it is obviously more expensive but like for me that's something you use a lot and so i would spend extra but like say we're talking about pedals like i'm not going to get xtr clipless pedals where i could get the xt ones and they work just as well for you know, a couple of grams doesn't matter to me for that kind of stuff yeah 
just in relation to the code breaks as well about a year ago i got some code rsc levers really cheap like online i know it was like 100 bucks went back 150 bucks and a lot of the bikes we review come with code r's which are fine brakes but i love having that adjustment and i think you know having yeah the the bite point and you know a bit more power at the lever it makes a big difference and so i had to have this it's the same caliper and it's obviously the same hose and you can transform a set of brakes if you've already got that by just getting the lever and just swapping out and bleeding them and they work great you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i think for me i would splurge on wheels because they make a huge difference in how a bike rides and they could literally sometimes make you quicker um, and make the bike more fun to ride Brakes make a lot of yeah, sense. Couldn't though. imagine not riding on three grand carbon wheels, Haley. Uh, impossible. <laughs> In I don't even ride aluminum wheels anymore. I'm too good for that shit. <laughs> Brian, aluminum where would you splurge? More like. I mean, I'm obviously I did splurge on brakes. Yeah, I'm an idiot. How much um, per end retail? I don't want to talk about okay. it. I don't want to talk about it. Um, on both, yeah, on both my bikes, I've got ridiculous brakes. I would say. For most people, especially if you aren't a fat guy in a place with steep mountains like me, I think a, f- a fork is like an obvious answer. It's It makes up the large... Between fork and shock, I would put more money into fork. And maybe not to factory level, but, you know, going from okay to to performance elite is like a... Or, you know, that, that charger damper is a good damper. Yeah. I'd agree with that, especially last year we spent lots of time riding value-priced bikes. And when you're like three or four levels down on the damper, Mm. that's a big difference. There's a big difference in forks. Uh, I'm going to say one that Levy's going to hard disagree with also is I'm just going to spend the money for my tires, for the tires I want. Well, mentally, I mean, like, you, you need them if you yeah. think you need them. So that's yeah, it's, the thing. It's confidence, yeah. right? Whether it's real or not. Whether it's real or not. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put the tires Ryan, I want on there. I got a ton of Redestine and Hutchinson tires here. You could just come have for free in my shop if you need them, if you need tires. Uh, well, sorry, what was the first brand? Redestine? I don't know what that is. They make mountain bike tires? Next question is from <laughs> Pink Bike user <laughs> Norknut. Uh, this is a good one. He says it would be really interesting to have some editors at beta on the podcast to discuss their experiences and what goes into their reviews. He goes on to say that Henry, he, he likes us. He likes our banter and our distaste for e-bikes. Um, Oh, heavens. Right. But he has a question for us. Would you rather take an e-bike out on a fun trail or a gravel bike out on a gravel grind? Okay. This is the, this is the order least favorite to most favorite e-biking zwift gravel road biking mountain biking okay you like wait you like zwifting more than e-biking oh god yeah yeah me too god yeah but you're inside i don't care but yeah but But, your e-biking isn't a real thing it's it's just definitely not real either last time i checked like i said (laughs) i've seen it. it's like a video game you play with a bunch of other people i don't understand this I'm sorry. Let's not go into it. I can't. I can't condense this <laughs> hey. to keep it brief. I didn't realize the sacrifice. The sacrifice I was asking you two to make when you guys rode e-bikes. Oh, last I year. hate e-bikes. You don't understand. No, I know. Like, <laughs> Brian, I was. I just got off that flight. I was about to just go straight back, back. home. <laughs> <laughs> just in tears every night. 
I was pissed off, man. But sorry, go on. <laughs> All right, Norcut. There you go. Uh, we're going to have Palmer on the podcast at some point in the very near future. Henry probably isn't going to like e-bikes anytime soon. So there you go. Those are our... This is how everybody finds out that we are the softest people in the world, complaining about riding e-bikes outside. <laughs> Mate, softest. Yeah, it's, right. it's in one of my Zwift sessions. It's just not my thing. <laughs> They're so tough. You're sweating through your eyeballs. Yeah. Honestly, e-bikers are just like a cheese grater to my soul. I just, I don't, I don't enjoy it. You guys I haven't done it right. It. We should just go ride. I'll show haven't you how to done it fun. right. You can't yeah. do it right, Kaz. It's like. Yeah. I just, it doesn't even oh, like. Sorry. My level of interest in arguing about it is so low. It's like, eh, whatever. I'll just do it. Like, it yeah, doesn't. I'm very yeah, neutral I, about I this. Too. Yeah. It's hard to get fired okay. up. And like, you have to ride e-bikes because regular bikes are so good that it doesn't matter. But if you want to come yeah. down and ride e-bikes, we can have a really good time. I think the real question is. Mike Levy, mm-hmm. what would you prefer to go for a mountain bike ride or a gravel bike ride? <laughs> uh, it depends on my mood. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely depends on my mood oh. and where I am for sure. Yeah, but Man, I mean, what happened to you? I don't know. Bikes are great. All bikes are great, except ones with motors. But all bikes yeah. are great, and who cares what you're doing? How tight your clothing is, even who cares? Why would, yeah, I don't even want to argue. I you want care. to wear the light coat <laughs> until it just stretches and goes see through. Hey, Levy, you're right. That's the sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. just like keep when stretching. I bend over, oh, then they can literally see my ass crack. <laughs> All right, that is enough of pointless arguing. Let's move on and talk about some trade shows. And the first one we're going to talk about, well, it's North America's biggest show. Of course, it's Interbike. It was around from 1982, and we're going to talk about why it stopped. But first, I want to read the first two paragraphs of something that RC wrote about Interbike Mm -hmm. when they announced it would stop in 2018. So this is from RC's article, Rest in Peace, The Rise and Fall of Interbike. I'll post a link in the podcast article so you can go check it out. It's very good. I'm not going to do it in RC's voice. I'll do it in my own voice. Vikings were farmers by trade. It was hard work, but it was seasonal, much like running a bicycle retail store. There was little to do in the interim between when their crops were established and harvest time. So they armored up, grabbed their swords, hopped into their longboats, and went night clubbing in northern Europe and the British Isles. Maybe Interbike founders Steve Reddy and Herb Wettenkamp knew these things when they founded a new trade show and moved it from winter when dealers were either ramping up for the Christmas or preparing for spring to autumn, when they were cash-rich from the summer selling season and absolutely nothing was going out the door except inner tubes and parsimonious college students. Maybe they didn't, but their timing is right. After Interbike made the permanent move to Las Vegas, Reddy and Wettenkamp had the entire bicycle industry clamoring into their boats, for what would quickly become a hedonistic week, loosely based around buying and selling bicycle stuff. Sure, it was a crappy place for cyclists, but in a few weeks' time, most of the Northern Hemisphere was going to be a crappy place for cyclists. Flights were cheap, weather was always good, and everything you could possibly want was within walking distance. It was eat, drink, be merry, and talk about bikes, and you could expense every penny. Interbike crushed its competition and quickly rose to international prominence. Man, I miss RC. That is good. Man, it is 
barely within walking distance. Everything looks so close, but it's so right, far away. Right. <laughs> so let's let's just do some backstory here. For most of Interbike's life, its main purpose was a place where bike shop owners and employees could come and see the products that they may or may not order, and they'd have their question answers before spending ten or even hundreds of thousands of dollars on booking orders on bikes and parts that they otherwise wouldn't even see. So remember, this was before the internet, before cell phones were things. People got their information from magazines and catalogs, and it wasn't instant. So being able to see this stuff, it was a pretty big deal. This was long before YouTube. Brian, do you remember when like the interbike issue of mountain bike action would come out and yes. all the cool shit in there? Different times, yep. eh? Totally. Well, and I remember being working at a shop, a couple different shops, and trying to make decisions and then going to Interbike and ordering a bunch of stuff. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. yeah. I worked at a shop and the shop owners would go to Interbike every year and they would never let us come because, you know, we're just lowly wrenches and there's no way we would want to go to to somewhere fun. And then they would come back with these stacks of catalogs. Like they'd probably bring back a hundred catalogs and they would put them mm-hmm. all out and it's really serious. You had to go through and pick all this stuff and it was it's kinda of funny to look I'm back on that now and I mean it helps explain why it's not as relevant because you don't really need catalog you don't have to drive you don't have to fly across the country to pick up a catalog anymore i actually did that trip as a shop rat one of my last years at the bike store we flew to interbike my my boss bought the tickets in the hotel we went to interbike for two or three days and we went to the booths of the brands that we sold or were thinking of selling and did our booking meetings and and all this stuff yeah it was it was absolutely absolutely great kaz what is it like inside that giant hall where all the booths are? Can you tell tell us how big it is and what it's like? Yeah, it's very overwhelming. And if you aren't a fan of lots of people and being inside, it's not the best time. But it's crazy just to see how many products and just the no matter if you're talking Interbike or Eurobike, when you just realize how many brands exist and when they're all kind of like laid out in rows, it's definitely overwhelming at first. Like It's hard to figure out even where to start and to kind of get the lay of the land. Like Once you go a few times, you're like, all right, I know how to how to do this. But yeah, I mean, it is an, an, an impressive thing just to see how many people get booths and display all their stuff, everything from like some guy making some crazy bicycle of the future that's powered by magnets to, you know, the actual larger, more reputable brands. So I, I have a question for you guys in the Levy and Kaz in the sort of earlier days of PB. What was, obviously I know what it's like to go to Interbike as a, as a media more recently but like in the early days were there real like scoops to be had yeah it was it was all about scoops for sure um like i remember so this was back when companies would debut products at trade shows Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about and then expect and then expect the consumers not to hear about that product (laughs) for another six months yeah exactly yeah yeah. actually i'm not kidding like that was the thing it's like we're going to show everybody at the trade show but then it's not you know it's going to come out in the next spring issue of Bike Magazine, and that's when we'll start pushing. Yeah. So those yeah. those early days, like Kaz, I would say the first you know five, six, maybe even seven years of going to trade shows for Pink Bike, it was it was rushing. Like we were there before it opened. We had game plans. We knew where we were going. We would maybe not run between the booths, but it was important for us to get the new product and show it before the other websites did because i mean it's a first look you know it's a it's a first thing we want to show you guys first and get all the information so kazman i miss those days like new suspension forks new wheels new bikes you miss those days those are fun 
Yeah, especially like the Taipei show at that time, there weren't as many news outlets attending. Like we were one of the earlier ones, I'd say, to kind of start going there. So that's where you could actually get the scoops. You know, like by the time Interbike would roll around in the fall, not as everything had been kind of out, but uh, the Taipei show was typically in March or, you know, that's kind of the beginning of the season. So that's when you could really get some yeah actual new products that we hadn't seen before that no one else had seen. So I, I, yeah, I do, I do kind of miss that, you know, anticipation. Like, ooh, I found something. Now it's kind of a little bit more routine. You kind of know what to expect. So, I mean, basically we would, we would go in there and our goal or my goal would be three or four articles a day. Like if every, if we had three or four people there and everybody's doing three to four first look articles a day, that's a good day at a trade show. That's lots of quality Mm -hmm. content, first look. So it would basically go like this. You know, we, we find the booth, we find the product, um, take a bunch of photos and then whoever is there is going to tell us the details and we make a bunch of notes. Sometimes we would record audio casts. Sometimes we would just take notes, whichever, whichever way works best and get a catalog. And then these trade shows, they have media centers where guys like us, we could go sit down and use the internet to write an article. So, you know, we might go in there from 9am until 1230. And in that time, we'd go to three booths or two or three booths. And one of those would be a standalone. So for lunch, we'd go to a media center and then we would you only build. went to three booths in three hours. You're slow. <sighs> Kaz, do we <laughs> want to compare trade show numbers, Kaz? <laughs> We're pretty even. We're pretty even. Actually, yeah, you, you did pretty good on all those trade shows. Yeah. Yeah. Kaz, is, Kaz is sneaky. He's he just is. like slow and steady. Yeah. Yeah. And then slow. not slow. Steady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we would just rush to get something up. And hopefully we didn't make too many spelling mistakes. And hopefully our pictures were okay. And, and then we would post it. And immediately after it was posted, we'd run back into the show to get more photos, more information. Let's be honest. Levy was done by 2 p.m. every day. Uh, that's because I had a good strategy. That's, true. that's because <laughs> I had a good strategy. I would go get all my information. And I, mean, I don't do well in those settings. There's just so many people. It's so busy. And so my goal was to be out of there by like shortly after lunch with all of the information that I need. And I would go back to the hotel room. I wouldn't tell you guys I was gone. <laughs> I, oh, it's like uh, we totally didn't know. <laughs> I would go back to the hotel room. I would get like three cans of orange sunrise monster, a large pizza. I'd go back to the hotel room and I would just type until, I don't know, 2 a.m. And then 4.30. Yeah. Yeah. Can, we, can we contrast? So that's your inner bike diet. What's your Eurobike diet and your Taipei show diet? Oh, Eurobike diet definitely has a bunch of Haribo. Yeah. Euro, well... It depends on the media center and the food that's there because I don't want to buy food. So the media center at Eurobike would have lots of bread, obviously, giant pretzels and fizzy water pretzels. and Coke. And yeah, Haribo, where mm. Vegas was – man, Vegas was savage on the body because you don't go outside. Like you'd walk through four hotels between your hotel and the trade show and then you'd walk through four more hotels inside to get back. So you're walking past food courts and like all these booths selling corn dogs and yeah, not good. No, yeah, and Vegas is gnarly because there was a there's one of the shows where I realized I hadn't been outside yeah. in the real outside in more than tw- in over 24 hours because <laughs> like we just said you just go from hotel to hotel and like so one day I just had to like find a door to the outside world and then uh, it's so gnarly and then a lot of times we stayed in that triangle hotel like Luxor so the walls yeah. are triangle that place freaks me out it's not Vegas is bad I don't know I I can't do it for more than 24 though. hours it's interesting, interesting. For, like it's... 24 hours I can do 24 hours in Vegas and I need to leave after that. It's the perfect spot for a trade show. Let's be honest. For there to do that yeah, work, it true. is the ideal we're not, spot. No, not for a sport no, that involves no, being outside in fresh air. But we're not there to be outside, dog. We're there. We're there I to will, work and get the content. 
I'm not there to be outside. I don't care about I'd rather outside. not go. I hate Vegas. I'll just say it. <laughs> Reno also sucks I, too. So <laughs> Yeah, Reno does suck. But I don't yeah. like Vegas. But I will say that it's very interesting. If you like walking around, looking at people, seeing crazy shit, it's interesting. I would say that just Reno was sad after Vegas because it was just this one last dying gasp. And yeah. just... It just it felt like I'd been chain smoking for six years after leaving that. It was just awful. Yeah. I think well, I've never been to America, and I really want to go to Las Vegas. I want to see it. I want to. I want to see Las Vegas for all the weird, bizarre stuff you're talking about, Levy. It's amazing. And maybe some some trust forks whilst we're there. Yeah, like you can sit on the yeah. streets and they have like piped in music, so it feels super surreal. Like weird music is playing all the time, and if you look real close, mm-hmm. there's little like cockroaches on the streets. And then you can like race mushroom them. Mushroom trip round two, Vegas edition. <laughs> you, you'll lose your mind, Henry. Don't do mushrooms in Vegas. At least not for the first. Like, yeah, just you don't need anything. You could just check. Yeah, you might never come Honestly. back if you do that. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like being inside a pinball machine. Kaz, were you with us when we we went and shot AK-47s in Vegas? Uh, no, I wasn't on that one. Uh, oh, that was God. early. That was before me. Yeah, that anything was the, goes the there. It's classic pink bike content. Yeah, exactly. We're. Levy, was that with me and Ken before I worked at Pinkbike? I don't remember because I had a rough night the night before, and then 30 minutes or 45 minutes before we went and shot AK-47s, I shit my pants on the strip and had to go to a mall. <laughs> Here's the mall washroom, and then we went and shot machine guns. This is just Vegas. <laughs> Man, well, you know what they say, Levy? There are two types of people in this world. People who have shit their pants, and then there are liars. But it's great to get out on a podcast with the same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> who else has got some interbike stories brian did you shit your pants on the strip or not no no, no. i have actually i have two two interbike stories from when actually i didn't go and i was working at rocky mountain uh the first one is that we once had a display just wash away or we couldn't all the roads flooded out and we couldn't get our display to interbike um like the whole booth was just like not there so everybody built the booth out of pallets and it worked great the second one was my first week at rocky mountain pete valance who's now at, at cannondale called me from inter or from interbike and is like brian like we have this wall that doesn't have any artwork can you whip something up it's your you know like please quickly it's we need something about altitude and so i wrote or i pulled in a photo and did a quick banner and got it out to the to the printer and was very smug that I'd gotten it all done. And it's like a big 10-foot banner. And yeah, I definitely wrote altitude instead of altitude. <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> Did it stay up for the entire show? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And amazing. I don't think a lot of people noticed. That's amazing. I love it. Hey, you know, while you're talking about stuff you've done at the trade show, how about what is the show like from a brand's perspective? We've talked about what Casimir and I do when we go to these things when we're at Interbike, but from a brand's perspective, what are you doing there? And is it good? Is it useful? I'm not sure. I, I think so from us, I was always in the marketing side and it was always frustrating because these shows were in transition from real trade shows to consumer shows. And they're kind of stuck in that weird gray area. So from a, a marketing side, I was always a bit like, Ugh, like well, I want to be talking to consumers, not Joe bike shop. Who's going to order six bikes next year like and tell us that we have to change all the colors and then we're going to do a custom well, you color do. And, <laughs> and then we yeah it's like oh well yeah <laughs> but, 
but it's just one of those things that wasn't super interesting for me talking to individual bike shops rather than I always wanted to talk to the riders. But I think that that's, I think that it's interesting to see where trade shows are going. And I think that being at a trade show in 22 is going to be a lot different than different than my experience was. Yeah. So what is a brand like Rocky Mountain or Cannondale or Trek, whoever, <laughs> let's just say they got this big booth at Interbike. Are they mm-hmm. there for consumers? Are they there for the media? Are they there for the bike shops? What are they? What's the main reason you guys to, are there? Today or today in the past? Yeah. I'm not sure. In the past, <laughs> it was. <laughs> in the past, it well, I mean, a lot of those big brands aren't going to trade shows. That's exactly. why they aren't around anymore. Yeah. But um, in the past, it was to to for bike shops. It was because shop owners needed to physically see and touch a product to have the confidence to book it. Um, and booking is a weird the the booking order dance is a weird one because everybody's trying to see uh, the future off see the future and offload their own risk mm-hmm. you know and so yeah I mean bike shop people want to see that a product is a real thing and and so brands are there to make those connections mm-hmm. um, and I've been on both sides of that you're you're just trying to have everybody instill confidence in each other yeah yeah exactly. Lastly, before we move on to Eurobike and the other shows, Brian, I've heard some rumors that Interbike might possibly be coming back. Have you heard those? And do you think there's any truth to them? I certainly hope it does. I miss the shows. Uh, I, I think. What? <laughs> I think you're talking about that. Um, so Steve Frothingham uh, from Bicycle Retailer broke a story about there being a survey going around from Emerald, the, the owners. Um uh, the company that owns Outdoor Retailer Expos and held the last interbike. So I think that it's possible. I think it, I think the survey only went out in in January, like earlier a couple weeks ago. I don't know if that's enough time to make it happen for this year or not. If it came, yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Somebody looking for validation. Do you think we need these things? Do you think trade shows are useful? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say interbike happens again. Are you going to send me in another... Casimir, you're going to send Casimir, me and Kaz. Yes. Good. Um, I, I think that it's definitely changing, like, what they are and how they're useful and, and all that. Yeah. Um, you know, when we did, when we did, I mean, you're forgetting the most important trade show of them all in this whole list, Levy, Pond Beaver. Oh, yeah, Pond Beaver. <laughs> I love Pond Beaver. <laughs> I mean, I think the reality is, is that most brands can reach most media with a phone call or an email on a PDF, like it's not, and we're all pretty used to not traveling right now. So I think the function of what a trade show does is going to have to change. And I don't love wasting flights on things. And I don't think that brands, you know, it'd just be nice to have less travel, but it is really nice to get the industry together and for like three ish times a year. So yeah, I'm, I'm pro trade show. I'm with Kaz on. It would be nice if it came back in like, Seattle or Portland or somewhere not Vegas. I see like the yeah, and I see things like Seattle almost being a better way to do them, like a more consumer facing Mm -hmm. one where you can still. I know you have to hang out with people, Levy, but like it 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 allows people to you know regular consumers to go see the brands and see the stuff. So then you're at least kind of facing your customers, and then ideally there's some outside stuff like. Even something like Crankworks makes sense as a trade show. You know, you already totally. have tons of people there. You can actually go ride bikes. So I think those kind of things where you kind of have like a hybrid model of, you know, this consumer side of things and also some other meetings with, you know, more industry stuff. makes That makes more sense than me than having everybody fly to Vegas or wherever. 
Mm-hmm. So before we move on, talk about those other shows. Let's, since we're already here, let's let's go over why trade shows have kind of disappeared. Like obviously, Corona has been a factor, but not the only factor. Hey, eh, Brian, what's no, no. T- tell us why these things are disappearing. Well, just that I think we've talked touched on it a little bit already is that the the booking and ordering aspect of that experience and the information sharing part of it is already happening by email and shipping bikes and things. Um, also, the whole industry moves faster, so you don't have time to wait until like it's too late. The interbike timing is too late for most people's bookings now. Mm-hmm. The way that the supply chain works, especially now, people are probably booking 2023 right now. Yeah. Um, maybe even already happened. And yeah, I think that the expos have all gotten, they've, you know, they've looked over consumer electronics shows and other things and gone, hey, we want we want those crowds. That's how we, we make money. Um, and so they operate largely the same way Pinkbike has in that they're just trying to get a whole shitload of interested consumers into one place right but does he think it also the relationship yeah media is is quicker from you know from taking the shot to uploaded having the information online it, uh-huh. it goes a lot quicker but also it feels like how to put it like now the coverage on world cups was okay but it was never great you get the racing but you often get the other stuff Mm-hmm. Now it feels like we actually see things come to fruition in real time, and then you get to like a lot of brands actually do their official launch in mm-hmm. like Mont Saint Anne in like August for you know the coming year, and then similar with EWS, you know we're seeing more of that. Like you know, for instance, like flight attendant was in plain sight at EWS, and we kind of knew what it was, you know. And then, and it feels like yes, all of what you say about about. You know, the demise of, of these trade shows, but also there's just more opportunity for them to get good sort of quality, structured, choreographed releases out there via World Cups and EWSs than perhaps there was before. They don't need that literal stand. They can do it, do it online. Yeah, I think that's a huge factor, Henry. The fact that like these companies, if they're doing a trade show, they're giving control of that release more to us. Whereas they can just release the information whenever is good for them now, thanks to social media. Uh, they can have their own press camps, all this stuff. They don't need to debut something when Interbike is happening or when Eurobike is happening. And the smart brands will wait until they actually have the thing in stock. Crazy idea. <laughs> what a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I want to touch on the other main trade shows before we wrap this up. And the other big one, of course, it's Eurobike. There are a lot more bikes, a lot more booths, a lot more people, a lot more giant pretzels. And it used to be held in a town called Friedrichshafen, but has now moved to Frankfurt, which doesn't have a Zeppelin factory next door. But we'll see. Kaz, how would you compare and contrast Interbike to Eurobike? How are they different and what do you prefer more? Eurobike, I was seen more organized. Like they did have those giant blimp hangers. So they're huge, huge spaces and then everything is in just kind of straight rows you can kind of go to i'm going to do this blimp hanger you just go basically front to back front to back and you just kind of get it all knocked out uh, they have very good apple juice it's kind of mm. like fizzy apple juice they're known for their apples in friedrichshafen so i like that and the pretzels and then they have like these cheese sandwiches so i really go by the food <laughs> <laughs> and there's <laughs> do you guys remember when chris ritchie 
a, a former videographer for Pink Bike. Hi, Chris, if you're listening. Went to went to Eurobike and then got so mad at how bad the sushi was. Oh yeah, it's like, <laughs> I think what, I what are you that. doing? What are you doing? <laughs> What are you doing? Well, there is. Yeah. There's also that Mexican restaurant that everybody in the bike industry goes to. Just it's like 15 minutes before the actual hall there. Yeah. yeah. What, what's that called? I never went. To that. I don't know. It's, you didn't yeah. miss much. I mean, German Mexican food, from what I've experienced, isn't that yeah. great. <laughs> but yeah, it's a yeah. So Eurobike, I'd say it's a lot more organized. Kind of seems a little bit more straightforward. Um, you just kind of go in, get stuff done, get out. There's not a lot to do afterwards, but you just kind of focus on finding the stories and getting them done. Less There's AK-47s a lot of, to shoot, eh? Less AK-47s, yeah. I don't, we don't really do anything. We just no. all crammed into one tiny apartment and like sleep on the floor and just, yeah, write stories. Yeah. From from my perspective, Eurobike is easier to work because we can we can split mm-hmm. up those hangers. There's like, how many hangers are there? Maybe eight altogether and then a couple other huge rooms. And we could just say, hey, I'm going to do this side. You're going to do that side. I'll see you three days from now. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we just run through and get all the stuff. Henry, have you ever been to Eurobike? I never have. I've always, I, in the shop I used to work at, it was a shop and maybe it was an independent store, but they had about seven different uh, shops around the place. And it was like, <laughs> the, the, my, the shop manager me was like, oh no, I don't want to go. He wasn't a big drinker, but all of these like basically guys just saw it as they're like one heavy booze in weekend yeah, a year yeah. and they go to. It I'm I'm really bad at trade shows. I'm really bad at Christmas I'm parties. Really, <laughs> Christmas parties, great example. I'm really bad when there's any level of like I mean I'm so bad at like this like being smarmed or smarming. Like when there's like an undercurrent of like we're meant to get along and be sort of impressed by each other. Like I went on a ride with like this really nice, really lovely and I was so embarrassed, like big industry player about about six weeks ago, two months ago. And I'm so keen to establish that I will, like I said, I'm obstinate and hard-headed. I will say and do whatever I want. And he was just wanted a nice ride. And I'm there like, this is shit. <laughs> and I had to apologize. I went too hard. I'm so bad at making those boundaries and working out how they operate. And I'm so, I just, I'm never send me to a trade show. Uh, Christmas parties, I've had them bad in the past where I've, just started calling shots straight down the barrel <laughs> I, and i'm like i wasn't drinking i just stood in the room quietly oh it was awful i think awful. treachers are a great place if you're not good with boundaries and things like that yeah Man. yeah you get in and you get out yeah. and you don't need to like it's very bro I think that was, it's very bro yeah that's the part that i don't like yeah. at Eurobike, it's, you can it's, wear it's, super tight colored jeans that's really popular there oh. there's like all oh is it remember yeah i think they may be italian can we talk about the Eurobike fashion show? Oh yes, also very good. <laughs> what is what is the Eurobike fashion show? Can you explain it? No, nobody can explain <laughs> yeah, exactly. it. It's beyond yeah. science. <laughs> it's from the future. <laughs> it's beyond science. Yeah, absolutely. Usually, yeah, usually like imagine techno and then some of the brightest, gaudiest, most horrid outfits you've ever seen, and it goes like all the time. And, there's just one little spot where there's people dancing around. My friend went to. He was. He was. He got like a behind-the-scenes pass for, um, I think it was what's it, Castelli. And so basically, Castelli used to do even their men's gear. They'd put this was like ten years ago. Put it on like, like proper like catwalk models, right? And they'd walk them up and down. And so he was behind the stage, and obviously, these catwalk models are like 
they're very comfortable with their bodies and when they do go for an outfit change they have a, someone to help them get changed who basically pulls the old clothes off them and puts new clothes on them and he said there were just like these five like really nerdy like road cyclist guys who's just there to get the, the new scoop on like the lake is cyclocross bike and there were just all these naked women they were like oh my god this is the most uncomfortable thing in the world and they didn't get and they were just they're like ah uh, uh, just look at the floor look at the floor and he said it was and um, they would they were so out of place it is a very weird thing the fashion show it's so weird yeah can you imagine being a brand and being like i would like to pay for the privilege to have my clothing displayed this way to have my brand displayed this way I mean, do you imagine like a, a rafa or somebody d- doing that don't we cover it though the fashion show <laughs> tongue-in-cheek but no oh i thought we do yeah, i mean only only in the miscellaneous <laughs> yeah. column yeah yeah <laughs> random yeah yeah but like it's not it's not it's objectively bad and i'm sorry for if anybody thought otherwise like it's not it's not good no it doesn't these people don't ride bikes they're doing like these weird like wheelies across the stage and like I can't think of a more demeaning post post riding career for the guy who has to like do the wheelies around the stage. Like it'd be better to shill whatever on Instagram yeah. than that. Yeah, I agree. But I think some brands don't really understand not don't understand that's unfair. Of course, in the vastness of the human experience, we always misunderstand things. That's our, our main trait as humans, getting the wrong end of the stick. But I remember at World Cups there used to be certain companies that everyone like all my other mechanics friends from other teams would hide from because they'd come around with the crap product you say a note and they'd come around every world cup and be like so is your team interested in one of these and you'd just be like literally like hiding under the desk it was like avoiding the rent man or something you know and people didn't have any didn't would never take any hints or have no concept of how it was being perceived or listen to very direct feedback sometimes yeah very strange Did they just go back home and go like put it in the spreadsheet i spoke to six people today did a good job i think they probably did. i mean there's some stuff i think for instance things like inserts now are becoming more proven there's like mm-hmm. the good ones and the bad ones but at the start it was literally just like people going around with pipe lagging i mean this one guy would come out of every world cup and be like do you want the pipe lagging yet but like, no i think we're gonna hold out this weekend <laughs> champ like <laughs> next time we see him that is one of my favorite things about trade shows that i i will miss if we don't have it is it's not the you know new grip colorway or whatever it's when the fancy presentation on the new carbon wheels it's the guy who or girl who made a thing in their garage and is walking around showing us and that Mm -hmm. guy probably doesn't know how to use email so he probably can't email us his thing his invention and yeah that I'll, i'll be sad to miss that type of thing i think we have missed it over the last few years there's all these characters at these shows that we see you know, usually when we go to them every year and a lot of times they got new, exciting stuff. Sometimes it's the same stuff, but they're always super keen to show us. And yeah, it's always interesting, at least, whether the product is, but the, the people usually are, eh, Brad? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely the people that are interested. No, I don't know. I just like that. I, I still, I you know, mountain biking is getting bought by KKR and stuff now. And yeah. I, some of that will be good, but I think all of us were originally attracted to mountain biking because it's a little counterculture yeah. iconoclast kind of weirdo thing outsider mm-hmm. thing so yeah yeah that's the part that i like when i go to shows before we move on to sea otter i want to mention two things i just want to look at casimir's face here while i say these words roller bags kaz oh yeah they're pretty fun <laughs> so, <laughs> so at Eurobike, there's a trend where lots of the people that are there have roller bags <clears throat> You know, they're the bags you would have, like, if you're going to go, yeah, roller bag, like you're 
travel bag. If you're almost go like you just bagging. got there. Go roller bagging. Yeah, and that's what we there's a game called roller bagging, but I'll talk about it in a second. But yes, yeah, so they're just dragging them around behind them in these pretty tightly tight hallways and you can like hear the noise and they're always tripping over them but there's a little trick if the person in front of you is dragging the roller bag behind them if you just kind of take like a half step forward and then just tip your foot a little bit to the right it'll flip the roller bag so they haven't they're dragging it behind them it makes their arm just like fully twist (laughs) it's kind of a mean game but sometimes at the end of the day you're just tired of battling roller bags everywhere and you could play roller bagging honestly though every single italian at Eurobike has a fucking roller bag and they're walking so slow. I'm trying to get to my appointment. Get out of the way. I hate yeah, them. I don't know what's in them. Yeah, I think I, I imagine it's full of the catalogs. We cigarettes. Were talking about. Your cigarettes. Yeah, probably. Cartons Le- of cigarettes. This is the first time I've heard of Levy actually hurrying to get to an appointment. So I think this story's made up. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to get back to the secret room we found at Eurobike. Oh, yeah. let's talk about that too before we move on. Yeah. So the media center, all these trade shows have media centers where you know people like me can go and upload their photos and eat lunch and do all this stuff. And the Eurobike Media Center. So <laughs> amazing. Usually these media centers are just like folding lawn chairs with some like crappy temporary walls around and terrible internet. But the Eurobike Media Center is a standalone building, delicious food, great internet. And everybody goes up to like the second or third floor. That's like where you're supposed to go, where the free thing is. Casimir, though, he is sneaky. Casimir discovered if you go up to the fifth floor, the internet is just as good. Nobody's up there, and there's huge, comfortable couches. It's amazing. We can yeah. finally give this up now. That I know exactly. Moving. Yeah, yeah. If if, it, if Eurobike was going to still happen in Friedrichshafen, we wouldn't be saying this because it was such a good spot. No. Like it had a view over the venue, and it had like these yeah nice leather couches. It was like a secret lounge. We definitely weren't supposed to be there, but it was so nice to yeah. hang out and be away from everybody and get stuff done. Yeah. All right. We're going to go through quickly the last two trade shows, the last two main trade shows. Interbike and Eurobike are the big dogs in terms of industry stuff. Uh, but Sea Otter, well, it's important in a different kind of way. Casimir, tell me about Sea Otter, what it's for, and why we like going there sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sea Otter happens in the spring every year. It's kind of a almost like a season kickoff, and it's a show that's a little bit more consumer facing as well. So there's races happen. They have what they call a downhill race. They have a slalom race. There's some XC stuff. Some kind of weird other races happen as well. I think they have e-bike racing now. Speed and style, um, Kaz. Do they have that? I don't think, I don't they, have think they have speed and style down there. <laughs> Not yet. No, but they have like a dirt jump expo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But it, it does take place outside for the most part. Um, so you're, you're not in some you know conference hall. You're just wandering around outside. A bunch of booths. It's at the Laguna Seca um, Speedway, basically, down in Monterey. So, yeah, kind of just the timing helps it become more of a the start to the season you know people it's a lot of people's first race probably so you do get once in a while depending on what the world cup schedule is like you get some mid-level to high-level athletes show up for it um and again like i said consumers are allowed so you do have your the general public is wandering around they get to see the same stuff that we do so um yeah i don't, I don't mind seattle it's kind of the weather can be hit or miss but sometimes it's super nice and you're oh, hanging out in california so, nice. so um, cool. we're like in just coming out of the rainy season in the pacific northwest and we're just like yeah let's go to california it's too hot yeah. i always get sunburned Sometimes, sometimes it's windy, but yeah, we can complain complain about about it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but it is, you know, it's decent and, uh, yeah, it's kind of a good way to just check in with companies and see what they've got coming out for next year. Sometimes we can arrange some test products and things for further down the line. So, um, yeah, I do think it's, it's a good one. I actually went to the last one just a few months ago, right? When did I go in the summertime? They had the fall. Yeah. It was weird because it wasn't springtime. Like it felt like it's supposed to be the beginning of the season, but it was actually at the end of the season. I think that was in October, Uh, but now the next one's coming up again in April, I think. I'm excited. It's it's always a nice. I like Sierra. I know it's fashionable to 
poo-poo the, the racing and yeah, I mean the downhill. Yeah, the downhill yeah. race Downhill's is a joke, good. and Dual Slalom is fine, but it's just Dual Slalom. But overall, it's a decent way to kind of see everybody and catch up and get things rolling. Yeah, I really like it. I like it a lot, and I like. I don't know. It's just good to get out of get out of our winter depression. I would I say it's my depression. least favorite show. I, I I don't like working outside. I get sunburned. There's dust everywhere. <laughs> And my feet get really dusty because I wear sandals. Spoken like they a have, true Zwifter. We found a new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. There's a new media right. center now. Once. Yeah. I don't um, like being outside the dust. <laughs> yeah. Dust. I will say that I, I, it is further from the hotel than the other trade shows. It's a pain in you. the ass. <laughs> I will. Well, I'll say. I'll that, say that the fact that it's surrounded by the freaking WeatherTech Laguna Seca circuit is absolutely amazing. They have a racing school there, so there's always cool cars. My best Sea Otter memory, Pink Bike, made me sit in the back of a <laughs> some sort of Mazda um, something or other, four-door car, driven by a driving instructor. And I interviewed Greg Minar, Darren Bearcloth, and a bunch of other people. But... I was so sick from being in the back of that car. I didn't feel good for like three days. People, yeah, a real driver, he was hauling ass through the corkscrew and stuff. That was a cool memory. I accidentally smoked Greg Minar in the face with a microphone when uh, the driver braked for a, a hard corner and Greg was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, with the winter we've had here, it'll be pretty sick yeah. to get out to California. Yeah, you just go. to get away yeah. from the snow. Yeah. You guys can all go. I'm gonna yeah. stay here. Well, yeah, I'll go with I you. I went Henry. riding yesterday for the first time, and I'm in. Yeah, to to quote the Greek philosopher Madonna, it was like the very first time. It was fantastic. I had such a good time, man. And I was thinking now, like all my some of my friends are in California, and since some like pro riders down there, I'm like, ooh, that could be all right. You know, if we could avoid it this last month. Okay, the last show we're going to talk about before we wrap up is by far the best. It's the Taipei Cycle Show. It's obviously held in Taipei, Taiwan. The idea is the same. There's tons of booths split between three or four floors of this massive building. And we basically just run around looking for new stuff to write about, just like the other trade shows. But why is the Taipei Cycle Show so much better, Brian? Because it hasn't been, like, mined for... It hasn't been, like every single interaction commodified and yeah and mined for whatever it's so good it's there's a little bit more openness you can see some stuff that's coming from further away it's just different i don't know it's yeah. i love it i i missed i was really sad when i when i left rocky mountain i was like oh like i was like going to taiwan to do all the stuff with the factory and do catalog shoot and whatever and i was very happy to and like for bike week which is a different mm-hmm. it's like a actual trade thing and then it was like okay good but i can still go to taipei show <laughs> yeah just the food and how interesting everything is and i mean everybody is so nice in that country it's it is ridiculous and yep. when i'm there if i'm not walking around the show i'm walking around taipei itself for hours and hours on end just because everything is so interesting from the food and the night markets and and all that stuff Levy refuses to do anything but walk there, honestly. Like, it's like, we got to go back to the hotel. We got to meet so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I'll just walk. It's only a three-hour walk. You don't need to <laughs> Uber. Not... Come on now. You got Georgia, legs. <laughs> jo- we, jo- one of our sales salespeople, Georgia, it was her, like, first two weeks at, at Pink Bike, and Alan, the sales director, was like, oh, yeah, she can, she can come with us to, to Interbike or to Taipei Show. 
with with Levy and Brian. That'll be a great experience for her. So like straight into the fire, and she was like, "Who is this guy? Why is he walking everywhere?" So weird. It's also really nice just to be outside there. The weather's nice. You know, it's warm. It is very nice. Yeah. I'm sweaty from like the second I get off the plane to the second I leave. <laughs> but it's totally okay. Yeah. I don't know. All right, everybody. So those are our favorite big trade shows. The Taipei show, Sea Otter, Eurobike, and Interbike. There are other shows to talk about, and we might do that in the future, especially the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, which is always interesting. Uh, to wrap this up, though, I have a question for Henry. Henry, you haven't been to most of these shows. Now that we've talked about them for an hour and a half, which one are you most likely to want to go to and why? I want to go to Las Vegas. More than Taipei? Yeah. Oh. oh I think because wrong call. Maybe yeah. you and I can go to Taipei. Yeah, you can go to Vegas. Yeah. Taipei's so good. I think, I think like a lot of British culture sort of piggybacks off north american culture like all our celebrities a lot of our shows and stuff and so i have like this morbid curiosity with america and um i'd love to go i'd love to go see some of it myself i want to go i want to whilst i'm in north america i want to see a lot because it's such a big place and it's got so many extremes on different ends of the spectrum and i think an extreme on a certain end of a spectrum would be las vegas and i want to go there and just like, you know how people go bird watching? I just want to go America watching. I want to just see it for myself. So if everybody who got that survey from Emerald could please respond with, yes, we want Interbike to come yeah. back, just so that Henry can go to Vegas, that would be yeah, much Not at Reno. Not in Reno, like last <laughs> No, no, yeah. Not in Reno. In Vegas. <laughs> I mean, me. yeah. plane tickets Thanks, are like guys. 50 bucks to go there, Henry. So you could probably just go for a weekend and get your fill, and then you wouldn't well, have to do any work. Um, but. Yeah, I was getting a bit... I was getting so frustrated with the snow. I was like, I'm just going to go to California. But then I was, I'm actually trying to calm myself down. Mm. And so not just go to places to basically to try and how to be, be more patient with the winter and stuff like that. So I think once I've actually got through this weird period, I'll start going to America a bit. And yeah, and I'm super excited. I think how you phrase it is perfect. And you'll have success if you go in there with the morbid curiosity mindset. I think you nailed it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Ever seen a dead body? It's like um, Stand By Me, you know? <laughs> what trade show are you going to? <laughs> yeah, he's going to the weird part of Vegas. <laughs> okay, let's wrap this up with comment gold. So this comment was on Matt Beer's first look article of Orange's new Phase e-bike. Um, and I just want to reiterate that I think this thing looks really, really good personally. Like, I mean... <laughs> It's an e-bike. Some of them look... You're just trolling now. No, yeah. some of them look absolutely horrible. This Leave one me. looks Leave less me. horrible. We're, uh, we're all friends here. Come yeah. on. I'm being honest. I'm not even defending it. No, I, I like... I, I know... I know. I, I haven't... I haven't... I mean, say the comment and yeah. go on. Okay, so I don't know anything about the thing. It might not be a good bike, but I think it looks fine. But anyways, um, pink bike user... Uh, pink bike user Mo Farinac. He says... Oh, wow. An electric filing cabinet. Ooh. <laughs> Orange. Oh, that's brutal. You're telling me it's uglier it's... than any other e-bike out there? I think that's bullshit. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. The, I love the look of normal oranges. However, I, I mean, I, I like them. But that thing, come on now. Like, are... That is not a good looking bike. I don't take any any fashion advice from somebody who likes the normal oranges. Like you're predisposed to it by your birth. Well, yeah, I mean, they're great bikes. I mean, what annoys me is they managed to put a battery in one, but not a water bottle. <laughs> exactly. Like, <come> on, <laughs> exactly. Just, like, just give the people what they want. I don't care that it only has one pivot before. and is aluminum. I just need yeah, water. I would, honestly, I would, if 
if I could have a water bottle, I would I would want one. Like genuine, I had one before. I love them. Me and Matt Beer were just talking about it the other day how much I like them. But yeah, I what can I say? Would you put? I get would you put? Sorry, would you put? Uh, like six different colors of anodized made in uk hope products on them absolutely not mm, like a there, was a, there was a subsection of the uk mountain bikers yeah that has seven different shades of orange on yeah. an orange mm-hmm. and we'll put on a fake bloody lank um, yorkshire accent wherever they're from halifax just to make them feel like the real deal and always talk i never actually work on my bikes i don't know my lefts and my rights but it's great that it only has one bearing to service which i'm never going to service like dude give it up like <laughs> we know you're not going to do it anyway it doesn't matter if it's got eight bearings 800 bearings or one bearing you know sweet fa you're not going to work on your bike but anyway that's a different uh, story okay now that henry has pissed off all the orange owners out there and i've pissed off orange <laughs> <laughs> sorry i i'm one of you i've owned them before yeah, me too. Just, sorry yeah. yes yeah. With their sealskin socks, always orange, hope, sealskin socks. This is this is the foundation of the UK riding. That's the triangle. That's the food pyramid of the UK riding. <laughs> Comments are going to be great. Just address them to Henry. I didn't say any of that. All right. That is it for episode 101. I hope you enjoyed our chat about trade shows and what they're like, both good and bad. Definitely put any questions you have about them or anything else down below. We might answer them on a future podcast or something. Maybe not. Also, if you like this one, let us know and maybe we could talk about what it's like to go to a press camp in the near future. 